Now you should listen to this because this concerns you. This is about an uh, evil genius in love. Evil genius mind. <laughs> if you want any chance to recoup your money and get anything out of that podcast, do exactly as I say. No, you're an evil genius is what you are. If this works, you're, you're some kind of a, a evil genius. Honest to God. <laughs> Welcome to the Evil Genius Chronicles. I am your little podcast buddy, Dave Slusher. Welcome to the show. First to business. This show is not kid safe, not work safe. You are in danger just from listening to it. Creative Commons licensed, non-commercial attribution, 4.0, unboarded. Theme music is by the late great band, The Gentle Readers. They're at gentlereaders.com. Bandwidth is provided via Cashfly under the kind umbrella of Backbeat Media. I do not speak for my day job because I'm retired. <laughs> so uh, all day jobs everywhere can just suck it. All right, let's get to a song. Um, I've ran across this. I don't even know how I ran across it, but I quite love it. There's a um, there's a Austin, Texas-based Latino funk band. They're named Brownout. And this band... Much like Hasty Dixie, they have decided to uh, take on a uh, persona where they play covers of Black Sabbath songs and they call themselves Brown Sabbath. And I will say, and they, it's, the stuff that I have seen, at least this album that I'm looking at now, is mostly focuses on the later stuff. So it's not, you know, paranoid. It's, you know, it's uh, uh, Fairies Wear Boots era stuff, Electric Funeral, you know, like the later sludgier stuff. And I think this d- stuff, with a uh, funky uh, band of Latino guys with lots of horns, I think these songs sound great. I was tempted to play Sweet Leaf, but I'm going to instead. Um, Sweet Leaf was kind of down the middle. This is, I, I wanted to pick one that was a little more transformative. So uh, here we go. This is Brown Sabbath playing Supernaut.
All right, from the album Brown Sabbath Volume 2, that was uh, the band Brown Out in their, uh, they kind of, you know, put on different clothes and now they're Brown Sabbath. And that was super nut. I'm going to tell you, that's more fun than the original. Like, if I'm going to listen to a version of the song, I'm probably going to listen to this and not the, not the, not the actual Black Sabbath song. So anyway, there you go. Uh, Brown Sabbath. Link to their Bandcamp page will be in the show notes at evilgeniuschronicles.org, just like all the show notes, just like just like usual. It's usual, my friends. It's usual. Two, what happened to my voice there? Two, two months into the retirement. Uh, I will say that since the beginning of the new year, so the giant to-do list, if anything, is longer today than it was on December 1st. So that part, as much as I wanted to like chug through that, it's like, fighting the Medusa. You do two things off the to-do list, and now you have three things uh, added to the to-do list. So the that will never be under control. I, I'm, I'm kind of accepting that. I will say that after the new year, like when we got back to normal, got back onto the routine, so the new, new normal, because we had the old dog, uh, when all that stuff sorted out, there have been more naps my vision of my retirement included some napping. So there have been naps with piles of dogs. So that part, that is good. And the pile of dogs is bigger than the pile of dogs I envisioned. The uh, the old dog is, uh, I guess I was cagey in the Discord they were asking me about. His name is Nakoa. But they named him at the um, Humane Society because he was a street dog that came in off the animal control truck. So he would, I mean, he didn't know that name. He does. He answers to no name really. Um, and we could have named him anything. We kind of kept that name, but what we call him basically is Coco because I, he still doesn't respond to it. But I think, and I don't know this for a fact. I've heard this. I think that um, hard sounds and dogs names are better because it's easier for them to hear. So, uh, you know, like we named the one dog Koga, and, uh, you know, things things with K's and G's and P's and things like that. So Coco, um, Coco, it is. Uh, Nakoa, you know, if we're being formal. <laughs> if he had a driver's license, it would have Nakoa, but we call him Coco. Not peeing in the house. I, we had one lapse like in the last two weeks. Um, and I'm not sure what that is. He's he's gotten trained to the point where when he gets up from a nap, and there are many naps, he goes directly outside. Um, this does not require me shepherding him anymore. He does it on his own. So it's not as crucial. Um, you know, in the early days, if I saw him getting up, I needed to stop what I was doing, run downstairs because I did not want there to be pee somewhere in the house. I am not as worried about that anymore. Um I'm not saying we're out of the woods, but I think we're it, it doesn't take much of a lapse to break break a habit. So, uh, you know, I'm keeping an eye on it, but that's not a, 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 an emergency. What is a kind of an emergency is that he still he can have these moments of just sheer destruction. Like, uh, well, he'll just start chewing on a cardboard box or a piece of wood or something now. You might say, well, why don't you give him chew toys? This living room is almost carpeted with chew toys. So much so that walking through barefoot is uh, 
you know, you, you do that at your own risk because chew toys fucking everywhere. <laughs> it is. And you, if you're not paying attention, you will step on one and it will probably be on the maximally chewed end and it will uh, hurt your foot and you will scream. <laughs> but that's what, that's what our house is like. So uh, that's just him. So um, I don't generally want him uh, on his own recognizance for a long, long time. But and I still I'm looking at the camera in the living room. If he gets up, I'll know that he he got up and I'll go down there with less urgency. <laughs> I could probably finish my sentence. <laughs> I might get to a stopping point. If I get down there in a minute or three, that's fine. Before I felt like I had to be down there in 10 seconds or uh, there goes the yellow flow. So that's all good. Um, grandpa is grandpa. And he is going to be grandpa for the rest of his life. I believe I talked about the assisted living in his. I'm recording this on a Thursday. He has a helper that comes Monday and Friday. I take him to dialysis Tuesday and Thursday. So he Wednesday and Sunday are the two days of the week that he doesn't have somebody interacting with him anyway. And my wife uh, wanted me to check on him Wednesday. And I said... And I was kind of a dick about it. And I said, if he can't go a single day without being checked on, then it sounds like he needs a living situation with assistance. <laughs> but I'm told he doesn't need that situation. So why, why should I have to check on him every day if he steadfastly uh, affirms he does not need assisted living? So uh, this is this is where we're at. He, he needs assisted living. Um, but... Just like he did not, was absolutely steadfastly against having a helper in up until where he got the helper, and now he's fine with the helper. It would be exactly the same situation. But one more grandpa story, and I'll get off him. These are really more cathartic, and it's like an exorcism more than I don't know that these are fun. Some people seem to get a kick out of the grandpa stories, they're really never fun when they're happening. I picked grandpa up last Saturday. The nurse rolls out to meet me and tells me from here on out, he's going to do half an hour less. So he has been doing four hours. He's going to do three and a half hours. And one of the ambulance drivers was sitting there waiting to carry out somebody who's closer to an invalid. He's sitting there listening to this exchange. And the nurse tells me it's going to be half an hour shorter, three and a half hours. And immediately grandpa tells me it's going to be half an hour shorter, three and a half hours. And I said, I heard the first time he says, and I said it's going to be three and a half hours. That was that was grandpa. So three and a half hours, half an hour shorter. I go to get him Tuesday and he said, how long is it going to be? I said, three and a half hours. I'm like, bullshit. It's two and a half hours. It's like, that's not what you or the nurse told me on Saturday. You both told me three and a half hours. Bullshit. It's two and a half hours. So it's like, I'm not fighting with you. We're fixing to go to the place where they can tell us. There is zero point in you and me sitting in your living room arguing about what the answer to a thing they will tell us in five minutes is. So just get your shoes on, you old piece of shit. So I roll, we go out, we take him in there. I roll his wheelchair in. I stick my head into the uh, little nurse's station and I ask them, how long is it going to be? And they say, three and a half hours. He'll be done at 4.30. I said, okay, I will be here at 4.30. And I go back and I tell him, it's three and a half hours. He goes, well, they're lying to you. 
That is grandpa in a nutsack. He thinks he's right. And if anyone says anything different than what he thinks, they are incorrect or a liar because only he is correct. The whole rest of the world is wrong and he's right. That is this old fucker. All right. Enough about him. He's not that much fun. I've been watching a lot of cartoonist kayfabe this week, partly much like when I'm working through the backlog of a podcast and I kind of get towards the the end. Like, let's say I had 100 episodes and now I have like seven. A lot of times I'll just listen to a bunch of them because I'm so excited about getting to the end of that backlog that uh, I just the that to the exclusion of other things. I just want to plow through the thing and get done and then make it no longer the backlog. I had something like. When I stopped listening to Cartoonist Kayfabe and decided that I would watch it on YouTube, partly because I just felt like I was missing, uh, you know, so much of the stuff was so art heavy. I felt I'm really missing the really important part of this. And my ultimate goal is to every day just watch the new video and be done with it. But at the point where I switched, there were 70 some episodes I had never experienced. So I created the uh, chronological created a, a playlist with everything that I hadn't watched and I sorted it reverse chronological. And then every day, you know, as they post new videos, I would add those to the list. And then I decided I just want this list gone. So this week I have my regular podcast listening is swelling because I'm not listening to podcasts. I've done more or less nothing but watch cartoonist kayfabe. You know, if I'm doing something else, uh, you know, cartoon, the cartoonist kayfabe is running on the TV in the living room. You know, while I'm at one point, I was sorting some stuff and I was filling out some forms and I'm kind of watching the cartoonist cable while I'm doing other stuff. I was checking some cable with my cable testers and also watching cartoonist cafe. You know, so that's it's sort of been the background viewing. And I'm hopefully if I keep doing this all week, by the end of the week, I'll be done with it. And it, that's what I want to do is just watch each one. I will say when you watch basically nothing but cartoonist kayfabe all day, every day. That's too much cartoonist kayfabe. You can you can have too much of stuff. And I think that's too much uh, density of these guys. I like them. I have met them both in person uh, a number of times. Um, they're coming to Heroes Con again this year. I have already purchased my Heroes Con ticket. Maybe I'll talk more about that after I'll put a pin in that, uh, that thing. But, um, you know, they're good guys. Uh, we spent a Fire amount of time talking to them last year. I like their show. Their show, it particularly like when they're going through, um, they went through uh, the Wallywood Artist Edition. And they're in real, when they call it putting under the microscope, they really kind of are. They spend, you know, an hour paging through this thing, talking about the composition of pages, pointing out, you know, Zipatone here and like how this hatching is or Look at the overall design of this page and look at how you, you know, this open panel goes into this and you, you know, here's a directional device that keeps your eye moving at the right part of the page. And notice how this is the focal point of this panel is also the focal point of the whole page. So it's really kind of studious stuff. Um, in their own way, what they're building uh, across the entire Oeuvre. I've never known how to say that word. Oeuvre. Uh, the, the whole um, everything that they have built is a really kind of a giant scholarly work. It's a sprawling, um, interesting scholarly work that in its own way 
uh, like the medium makes it a little difficult to be, you know, it's not like a tome you can put somewhere and say this is the definitive work, but it's kind of uh, filling that sort of niche. You know, they they sometimes they will reference those uh, Smithsonian collections of comic strips. That's the first time I ever saw um, E.C. Seagar's work. You know, I had that book. I still, I he'll still have that book. I checked it out from the library when I was a kid, and then I bought a copy when I was older. Um, they are kind of creating for a new generation, that sort of thing. And that is all to the well and good. And I think they're doing a great job of it. I think those guys are uniquely situated because they are practitioners. They're both good comic artists. They're both good cartoonists. They know what they're talking about. They've both studied up on it. You know, they teach, uh, you know, Ed Piscor attended Kubert school. I can't remember where Jim Rugg went to school, but they, they know what they're talking about. When they do do their interviews, they know what they're talking about to the people. They have a history and everything. So they're, they're good scholars of this. Here's where it gets fucked up. I guess I might, if I talk to, talk to them at HeroesCon, I might have this conversation with them. Because I think they're so close to being the definitive reference and they're fucking it up on one reasonably important point, which is that, and it's always Ed Piscor has this weird crassness to him where he makes these like inappropriate sexual comments that are, that have no place being in this. Like they're just, uh, I was trying to find um, good examples. And then yesterday I watched uh, one that was a perfect example. They were um, covering the Batman uh, Silent Night story. This was recorded right around Christmas time. And they were talking about this story, which was drawn by Neil Adams. I forget who wrote it, but it was, uh, but I think Mike Friedrich, the same guy who did all the Star Reach magazines, wrote the story. And it's a very weird story. That's almost like a Will Eisner story where Commissioner Gordon turns on the bat signal, brings Batman out to the station, but there's no crimes. There's nothing he needs him for. They're just singing Christmas carols. And Batman joins the cops and they sing Christmas carols all night while all the issues that would be Batman issues kind of sort themselves out. You know, this is very much a Christmas spirit story. Ed sprinkled this discussion of this Christmas story with these weird. So, uh, the very first thing is where he talks about how they turn the, uh, you know, Batman is kind of a damaged character and he, even in this story, he's kind of a damaged character. And he said he shows up, um, you know, with his dick hard pre-cum uh, on it, looking for a fight. That was how, that was the language that Ed uses that. Like, why, why is that how you need to talk about this? And then he kept talking about how uh, the, um, in all the panels, that showed Batman and the cops singing Christmas carols. You only ever kind of saw them from the chest up. And he said, because of the faces they were making, it looked like they're having a circle jerk underneath the panels. You know, he's like, and he just kept talking about how, and like every time they talked about that, he would talk about how there's a gay orgy happening underneath the panel. It's like, why? You, this, this is cartoonist kayfabe ceiling. Is these like, would I recommend this to any female? Like, does any woman who's interested in comics want to hear this bullshit? Like, if this was, if this was a job, if they were, if this was their job at a office, this would be, you would talk to HR 
about this because you're creating kind of a hostile workplace. Like this is the kind of shit you get written up for and have to go to sensitivity training if this is how you talk in the office. But and, and now bear in mind, I say crass shit on the show. So I'm not trying to say I am a paragon of virtue. But I'm also doing a kind of a different thing. I'm not trying to be the definitive resource for anything, right? So, you know, I will occasion. I will see. I talk like that. This is why I kind of understand where Ed's coming from. I talk like that. I think like that. I may. I say all that. I'm. You know. I am a frat boy. I'm still a frat boy. Uh, I I talk like a frat boy. I think like a frat boy. I have frat boy concerns. Uh, you know. <laughs> all, all that shit is on my mind. But, you know, when I'm making, uh, you know, videos, when I was making videos as a d- developer uh, advocate, I didn't talk about hard cocks and sucking dick in those videos. <laughs> you know, I don't. <laughs> it's just it's ridiculous. And so and they, they never add anything. They're always just they're just weird asides that would subtract zero value. They're not part of the value of the show. And so now there's a glass ceiling. Like my niece likes comics. Would I point her to cartoonist kayfabe? Probably not. I mean, I probably wouldn't. Honestly, I don't know that I would ever point any female to cartoonist kayfabe. I'm not sure. I think it could conceivably be a hostile environment for them. And it's a shame because subtract this like extraneous, unnecessary, pointless stuff. And it is the perfect, you know, it's, it's the stuff that should be put into, you know, college courses. It's, it's that good. And it's just to, to put my own crassness on it. It's Ed stepping on his own dick. (laughs) He's, he's fucking this up. It's an unforced error. And uh, I wish I wish he could just turn that off. It would be so, so to the good uh, of that. All right, let's pull out the Heroes Con pin. Um, last year was the first time we had gone to Heroes Con um, since COVID. We had planned to go previous years, but uh, when we were doing the softball postseason, um, the state softball weekend um, was the same weekend as Heroes Con and we had to choose. So, um, we didn't go that year. Last year was the first one we went back. They have made changes, kind of like there's a lot of places that have made changes post COVID that kind of had the veneer of COVID, um, but probably uh, were changes that they just liked. <laughs> so raising prices is one, but even like Walmart used to be open all night. Walmart's no longer open all night. They stopped being open all night uh, because they had to clean for COVID. Uh, you know, in, you know, whatever, April, May of 2020. And they've never been open all night ever since. I don't know if there is any store in America where Walmarts are open all night. And it used to be the place, if you needed a pipe wrench at three in the morning, because sometimes if you're a homeowner, sometimes you need a pipe wrench at three in the morning. That would be the place you would go do it. Well, you can't do that anymore. It's like 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. As far as I know, every store in the country, there could be, isolated uh, ones that are still open all night or return to being open all night, but I don't know what they are. I've never, I have not seen one in the last couple of years. Heroes Con made changes after the COVID era. And it used to be 
if you bought a ticket ahead of time, you would get some stuff. You would get a incentive print. You used to get in half an hour early. And then if you bought a one-day ticket or, or you bought tickets at the door, you didn't get those. Well, last year, I was surprised because they had – effectively, they have three tiers now. They had the pre-order regular tickets. They had the – you know, buy it at the facility, like buy it on-site ticket. And then they had a thing called the VIP ticket. And some of that stuff that that used to be part of the pre-order is now part of the VIP. So the getting in half an hour early, the incentive print, you know, things like that. Those are all part of the VIP. And it's more it costs more, but not way more. I think the regular tickets maybe cost $60 and the VIP is 100. Unless you were really stretching to pay the 60, the 100 is not that big a deal. And uh, I total last year totally would have wanted the VIP. By the time I realized there was this dichotomy, um, the VIP was sold out. So this year, as soon as tickets opened up, I don't even know 100% for a fact that we can go. But um, it's like I'm going to gamble my 100 bucks that uh, we can. And if we do go, I want to have the VIP. So I bought those. As soon as I got the email from Heroes that says tickets are open, I went and bought a VIP ticket. So that's what I want. I like that 30 minutes uh, where you're in there where it's reasonably quiet. That's the best time to get autographs. You know, the, the people who get long lines later, um, like Daniel Warren Johnson was swamped all three days every time I ever went by his table. I was never going to stand in the line to get his uh, autograph. But, you know, if you get in there ahead of everybody else, you can get in there when there's like two or three people. And so that's usually, um, you know, that will be my plan is to get the hard autographs in that half hour. And then, you know, the rest of the time, just do whatever I'm going to do. As I talked about earlier, I'm probably, I might be done getting autographs from the older generation, particularly the ones who want $20, $30 for a signature. (laughs) Mike Rill was my example. I'm not getting this random issue of Star Slayer signed for $35. I don't care that much. I'd rather buy original art with that money and uh, have no autographs. (laughs) If that was, if that was how uh, it came down. So if I make it to Heroes Con, uh, which I hope that I do, um, I will be a VIP. I had mentioned the finite attention. Podcasts this week are really suffering. <laughs> I think I probably have to admit to myself um, that that there is a new normal in media consumption um, after retirement. I'm not playing podcasts into my earhead for uh, you know, eight hours a day, uh, minus meetings. So let's say you know six hours a day on average. Um, if I'm coding, it, it, unless I was writing text, I pretty much listen to podcasts the whole time. That's the one thing I can't do. Some people cannot code and listen to people talking. Um, I can generally code unless I'm really focusing. Certainly, it's not impossible. You know, when I was listening to podcasts that I'd be doing something at work and then my attention would go on something and I realized I have not listened to this. I have no idea what they've said for the last 10 minutes. Sometimes I back up, almost never. <laughs> but sometimes it was imp- if I felt it was important or it was a show I particularly like, I might back up to the last thing I kind of remember. But I don't have that. And now um, uh, probably what I really need to do is decide which of these podcasts do I care less about I need to unsubscribe from some podcasts because I think the uh, the the baseline of what I had before is not sustainable going forward. I'm just going to build up 
uh, more and more unlisted stuff. Particularly, I listen to things like Ask Dr. Hal, which is a long show, at least three hours a week, um, maybe more. Today, this there was a time where this would have been antithetical. It would have, uh, I would have never dreamed of it. I more or less skipped the entirety of the Ice Cream Social because they had a guest on and I listened to like the first, and I didn't much care about the guest. And like for the first couple of minutes, a lot of talking over each other. I thought, I don't care about the show. <laughs> fast forwarded to where they were doing scoop mail and they were still talking over each other. I fast forwarded to the game and they were doing this uh, brand new game format called Obelisk, which is even more tedious than Scooperty. <sighs> so I more or less, I listened to, of the hour and a half show, I listened to about five minutes and then I kept fast forwarding. I was like, Ugh, I'm telling you, it, there was a time I would never have dreamed of this, but, but uh, Ice Cream Social is on the chopping block. Some of this, I also sent them an audio jock versus nerd a couple months ago. I guess I'm going to resend it. I don't know if this is coloring my perception because I put a lot of work in this audio jock versus nerd and they've never played it. And they do a lot of this scooperty and I hate scooperty. I honestly, they seem to think that everyone loves it and they seem to love it. It's tedious and their obelisk game is even more tedious. And uh, I don't know if the lack of them playing my Audio Jock versus Nerd uh, colors my perception of the show. Probably, I mean, I'm human. I'm I'm a human. I'm human, and by the way, a petty dickhead of a human. So, um, we'll we'll see. But wow, uh, it's a little surprising to me. But that is in fact the case that um, I may drop this show. That once upon a time. By the way, I've never been to their Scoop Fest, but the first couple I bought the. Um, I bought the package of all the merch, you know, they would collect all the stuff in the goodie bag and then send it to you. If you bought this, you know, they called it, I think scoop fest to go. I have t-shirts from the first couple. I have, you know, the stuff, the hats and the, the, the things that you got from the membership. Now, I don't know that I even care about listening to the show. Weird, huh? When people come and go from uh, the Patreon, it's like, man, the thing that was once the top, the I was most excited about, I may drop one day. So, you know, I don't blame you. I don't blame anybody. All right, I'm going to stop and take a sip of this fine today's Starbucks. Not even in the ember. I just didn't even bother. I had just a little sip left. Mm. Oh, brewed today and absolutely less than room temperature because... On school days, when everybody else is uh, gone, a home assistant does this for me. On uh, I drop the temperature like 66. <laughs> no, no one else that lives in this house would accept this. But on school days, everyone else is gone, so fuck them. <laughs> I'm putting the temperature where I want it, which is pretty cold. Mm. And that coffee is exactly 66 degrees. Oh, yeah. Delicious. Speaking of home assistant. On the side where I park my car, I park my car right outside the garage. Of course, I'm an American and uh, I have a two car garage so full of shit. There's no chance of getting any car in there. That's that's most Americans. When we lived in Tiger Ground, um, very few people parked their car in their garage. There was one dude who lived a couple houses from us that gave me a panic attack anytime his garage door was open because it was floor to ceiling shit. It looked like 
the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was <laughs> like, oh my God, I don't even want to look at that. I don't like my situation and his is so much worse. It just fucking makes my chest tight when I look at it. But, you know, nine out of 10 houses, you would see cars parked right outside the garage because the garage is full of stuff. That's how we are too. On the garage side, there are, I guess you call them carriage lights. They're little um, sconces and we have three of them. So you got the two garage doors. There's a sconce between the two and then one outside of them. And those lights were very dim because there was only one bulb in each sconce that was working. <laughs> so I was like, Ugh. So I decided, I will, here's a project I want. I would like to actually have a little illumination on this driveway. But I also don't want to remember to turn the light on. A lot of times, let's say, uh, you know, I'm out and about and I may leave the house at four and I get home at seven and it's dark. I didn't think to turn the carriage lights on before I left the house. I'm not thinking that far ahead. So what I want to do is have smart bulbs in the uh, fixtures and I just want home assistant to turn them on at sunset and then turn them off at, you know, 11 or 1130. Maybe for bonus points, I'll put a motion sensor out there and have it turn the lights on for 10 minutes if there's motion. I can do all that stuff with Home Assistant if I have smart bulbs. And then I kind of thought about it and I said, I, I don't want to put a bunch of Wi-Fi bulbs out there. I just don't want it. But I'd be delighted to have Zigbee bulbs out there. The difference between uh, Zigbee and Wi-Fi, so Zigbee is like uh, the one, if you see a smart device, a plug or something, and it needs a hub, it's almost always either Z-Wave or Zigbee. Both of these ones uh, can, are controlled locally from inside your house. So a Wi-Fi bulb generally means that it's hitting some server. You tell the, you know, the the central server to turn your bulb on, and then somehow the you know the bulb contacts that central server. Um, Zigbee and Z-Wave are local control. And I have a Zigbee controller on my home assistant, so I don't have to go out and do that. And Zigbee they both also do mesh networking. And this was my vision. I thought, if I put these 12 uh, Zigbee bulbs out there, I'm going to have my meshes. This will put them between uh, here and my mailbox where I have a Zigbee motion sensor that never works that good. It's just a little bit too far. And then these guys can kind of help build out the uh, the mesh. So maybe the motion sensor in my mailbox will actually work reliably. And so the Zigbee should have no problem. It's fairly close to, uh, you know, where my controller is, but the mailbox is both far and it's got walls between it, all of which is going to degrade the radio signal. So the Zigbee bulbs, I'm not worried. They're fairly close. And then the Zigbee bulbs have no wall between them and the mailbox because they're outside. Sounds perfect, right? So I'm looking around and also these are candelabra bulbs. So not your standard base, which is E26. They are E12. So like the same kind of bulb as a nightlight or a lot of chandeliers have these kind of things. So, so now it's getting more complicated. So now I've got to find both a Zigbee bulb. That's a candelabra bulb. It's like, ugh. well, I look around and I find Sengled. If I order them from the Sengled site, um, and by the way, there's a lot of grossly expensive ones, like $15 a bulb. And I'm I'm not spending $200 on this project. I'm not spending $200 in light bulbs to light up my driveway. That seems excessive. So they had a thing 
and a two pack of these bulbs, I think were $15. But if I bought more two packs, there was a special. So all in, by the time this was done, I'm getting six of these two packs and the whole thing was $60 free shipping. So that I'm willing to do that. So five bucks a bulb didn't seem too bad. By the way, that central, uh, I opened up that middle sconce and it had four bulbs in it. So I figured I needed 12 bulbs. When I actually started putting them in, the two outer ones have three bulbs. I'm like, God damn it. Why are these different? So I only needed 10, but I got, I got 12. So I have a couple spares. In the time between when I placed the order and then I did a little more research, I found that Sengled bulbs particularly are unique in the fact that almost every other Zigbee bulb uh, is a mesh repeater. Only Sengled bulbs are mesh endpoints, meaning they don't repeat. And this is a specific decision this company has made, their engineers have made, because they said uh, if you turn them off at the switch, you're going to mess up your mesh and uh, you know it might uh, cause problems with your Zigbee system. It's like, God damn it, guys. I wanted the mesh. That's what I wanted. On their site, they say it would be two to eight days from when you place the order uh, and, and they arrive. Place this order Monday evening. And, th- and then, you know, Monday night is when I found out of this thing about them not repeating. So I start looking around for other brands and Ikea makes them, but I, they don't some that would work and are not grossly uh, expensive, but they're out of stock and there's no Ikea near here. And I, I just could not find anything that was what I wanted and not grossly expensive and available. Like <laughs> I could have two of those, but not all three. I couldn't find what I wanted reasonably priced and available. I could only find any two of those three. So I'm dithering, dithering. And, and then yesterday I'm thinking, Maybe I should cancel that singlet order. Bearing in mind, I, I ordered it about 6 p.m. on Monday. Yesterday's Wednesday. And UPS knocks on the door. There's a box of those singlet bulbs. It's like, fucking shit. Oh, I had no idea they could possibly get there this fast. So I'm like, ah, screw it. The bulbs are here. I don't care. So then now I've got... 12 bulbs. At the time, I didn't know I only needed 10 because I had not opened the outer sconces. So now you've got a little bit of an engineering situation, which is I need to get all these bulbs paired with my Zigbee controller in a reasonable manner so that I kind of know what's where. So uh, I would search and I had to actually look through old junk drawer stuff. There's a box from the old junk drawer in the old house where I found a nightlight. <laughs> that I could screw these bulbs into. So one at a time, I'm opening the boxes. I write a number on them. I name them according to them. So I pair the first bulb and then it's, I name it Sengled number one. And I write one on the base of the, the bulb in Sharpie. So now I know which bulb that is. The plan is I'm gonna put one through four in the left sconce, five through eight in the middle, nine through 12. Well. Right away, <laughs> okay, there's only threes, but the same principle. I'll do one through three, five through eight, and you know, nine, 10, 11, and then I'll have two spares. Um, I go and I put them in, and it's so close to right. I screw them all in, and there's a thing you can do in Home Assistant where you can group lights. So what I do is I group one through three, and I call it left sconce, or sconce left, 
And then I group the other ones and I call it sconce middle and sconce right. And then I group the three sconces and I call them carriage lights. So theoretically, I should be able to turn on uh, one sconce and it'll do all the lights under it. Or I turn on the carriage lights and it'll do all the lights. You know, I should be able to turn them on and off. Fine. Of the 10 bulbs that are out there. Also, and I screwed. I don't know why I was so wildly optimistic. I put all the bulbs in there. Then I screwed the uh, lids back on everything. What was I thinking? That this was going to be perfect and require no fiddling. And so these screws, by the way, are hard to, they're very fiddly. So reattaching the lid of these sconces is not trivial. But I did it for each of them. And of those 10 bulbs that are out there, two of them are not responding. <laughs> they just turn on, but they're not like, it's, they're not recognizing the controller. So I can turn eight of them on and off but two of them are just re resisting control. And because of the way these groups work is if any bulb is on, the group is on. So I, I flip the power switch on the wall and uh, the lights come on. And if I say, turn left sconce on, all the lights are on. If I say, turn it off, two of the three go off. But as far as home assistance concerned, it's still on. So I can't turn it off again, <laughs> you know? And I can't turn it on. I, it's just kind of in this nether state. So now I've got to open the sconces back up, see what I can do to fix those. The worst case is I'll swap out the other two, uh, you know, hot spares. I'm going to bring the two um, that are, aren't working back upstairs, see if I can fix them. So close. So it's been this like voyage of like continuously lowered expectations. Okay, this is going to be perfect. Well, you won't get the mesh that you thought you were getting. So part of the whole reason for pursuing this, I could have, by the way, I could have just put regular bulbs in there and been done days ago and then just flip it on and off with the wall. But I want to be able to turn them on and off with Home Assistant on a schedule and via motion. And and if I had done regular bulbs, it would the whole thing would have been, I don't know, 15 bucks. But I'm just not that, I'm just, I'm just not. So now it's just so much fiddling. I love what Home Assistant can do for me. I love the power that it gives me. There's so much beneficial from Home Assistant. And also, you are now the IT administrator of your house today and forever. And you will never stop. So that's the upside and the downside uh, of Home Assistant. So I do... I like it and I don't like it at the same time. I'm going to take another sip because dry throat. All right. Last topic for this show. Um, I'm going to glump together a couple of things. You know, when I bought uh, my Audi car, I was not considering a Tesla. Um, Adam Rittenauer, uh, you know, pointed out to me a lot of my life would be easier um, if I got a Tesla. Charging, absolutely. Charging on the road, absolutely, would be easier if you got a Tesla. And I just, I, I had a whole show where I talked about this. I just didn't want to be, partly, I just don't want to support the weird, whatever, whatever this Elon Musk thing is that's happening. I don't want to support it. I don't want to implicitly or explicitly support it by, ha like, driving, like, having any of his products and pretending like it's normal. But also, 
Um, I don't trust the governance of any of these companies that he's uh, in control of, because if he says, uh, I want um, the all brakes to have an override so that uh, I have some command where I can make every car not not break, you know, something that would be clearly, uh, you know, against the, the NTSB or, you know, whatever, possibly illegal. It's going to happen anyway. You know, I don't trust I don't trust any company that he governs. If you ever read the article about um, how they moved Twitter servers out of one data center to another and they were telling him, don't move these machines without us, because for one thing, the floors aren't built to have the weight of these server racks uh, rolling across them. And he said, "Okay, fine. And then they went in the middle of the night and moved all the stuff and just did whatever the fuck he wanted. (laughs) <laughs> one of the reasons why there was a lot of Twitter downtime uh, in the early days of the takeover is because of this weird thing that they did because he just wanted to do it. So I don't want to buy a product controlled by uh, a baby man, a billionaire baby man with no impulse control. So that's that. That's that I, from a practical level. And also I don't want to support his thing. Like, I have been through this before where people say, well, why don't you, you know, Hobby Lobby, Chick-fil-A, you know, companies like this. I say, well, why can't you just buy a chicken sandwich? You know, the fact that they're uh, uh, spending the profits they make from your chicken sandwich fighting gay marriage. Why can't you just eat the chicken sandwich and not worry about that? (laughs) Bearing in mind that here in America, in the, uh, you know, corporate clusterfuck world that we live in, Practically anything you buy rolls up to someone that's horrific. <laughs> someone, a, a company or and or an individual that is horrific is getting your money somewhere on everything you buy. Every food stuff you buy, every good you buy, every service you pay for, someone awful is in the chain. So the, at some point, if your goal is purity, you can't buy anything from anyone. You're you can't buy a diamond because they're blood diamonds and you can't buy this because of, you know, whatever Unilever does this and Nestle does that. And they're all awful and they're all colonial and they're all, you know, supporting uh, child labor and they all are part of human traffic. You know, it's just it's just an endless turducken of fuckery. (laughs) And it's just awful. (sighs) So. Where does one draw the line? If you're, tr- if you just, here's where I draw the line is if you, if I just can't consume your good or service, you put it so in my face that I can't consume your good or service without feeling like a dick. That's the line. And Elon Musk and Tesla crossed that line. I just don't want to feel like a dick. You know, if you read Dilbert, I feel like a dick. <laughs> I don't just give me enough cover. If I shop at Hobby Lobby, I feel like a dick. Just give me enough cover. We all know, wink and a nod, that you're awful. Just give me enough cover that I can shop at your place without feeling like a dick. Well, I saw this uh, thing not long ago. Duke University had been using Basecamp for a decade more. Like Basecamp, uh, you know, was the, correct me if I'm wrong, Ruby on Rails, I think, came out of Basecamp. 
I think they internally built Ruby on Rails to create Basecamp. So they were like a Ruby shop. I love Ruby on Rails. It's my favorite thing I've ever programmed in. When I built Omegafish, I built it in Ruby on Rails. And it was, honestly, I loved it. <laughs> like building it was a pleasure. Even maintaining it was kind of a pleasure. Uh, I love Ruby on Rails. It's the one, like, as much as I raved about how Python does not match how I think Ruby on Ruby does. And when you add Rails, it's exactly what I've ever wanted. <laughs> so these are the people who created my favorite middleware, uh, you know, my favorite way to program. Um, and I we used Basecamp to um, organize Create South. And Duke University um, Libraries are dropping it. And they wrote a blog post, which will, of course, be linked in the show notes about why they're dropping Basecamp. And it came down to one of the founders. I don't remember which one. Is it David Hannemeyer Hansen? One of the other ones. Uh, have these like anti-DEI, diversity, uh, diversity, what's the E in DEI? Enrichment? Inclusion? Um, like anti-diversity screeds about basically how they make things worse. It's like, Fuck you. <laughs> and so basically, Duke University's libraries wrote this blog post that's a very similar way of uh, approaching it to what I just laid out, which is we can't now pretend like we're not dicks if we give you money because you're just rubbing our noses in it. You're just. <sighs> so that's that's the line. Like I say, <sighs> probably if I buy any food at the grocery store, I am supporting some company that has a value that uh, is antithetical to how I think. Most big companies have values that are antithetical to how I think because they're big companies. And that's the opposite of how I think. All I want is all I want is enough cover. I really, really, I don't use swear words in the title of the show because it just for the same, the crassness reason, right? I, just not in the show. And I don't even like to use the Grolixy, you know, F asterisk ampersand. I don't like to even Grolix up. I just don't like to do it. I really want to name this show Turducken of Fuckery. <laughs> it has, it, it actually has a little poetic internal assonance. I like that. I like that term, Turducken of Fuckery. That's my. In shitification is turducken of fuckery, but I don't know. I don't. I can't. Can I call it turducken of effery? I don't know. That just doesn't have the ring. It doesn't. The turducken of fuckery. It has the meter. It has the internal rhyme scheme. It got everything, man. On top of the fact that it's exactly what I meant. <sighs> All right, that's a show. I feels like a show. Uh, dogs still unstirred unless uh, I have to check the timestamp. That was the time where I was paused <laughs> and I was looking at half an hour ago, a still frame from half an hour ago. I was like, <gasps> I'm guessing that my, ha my uh, downstairs has been paid in in urine, but it hasn't been. I'm going to stop and I'm going to do a thing and it's a pre-recorded thing and I'm going to leave a hole for it. Unlike 90% <laughs> of the last year's shows because we're going to do this thing now. It is time once again for a thing we call the reading of the patrons. The following people went to bit.ly, bit.ly slash EGC Patreon, and pledged to support to keep the shambling mess shambling. Thank you to Derek Coward, 
Adam Rittenauer, Ken Kennedy, Paul Fisher, Arhuli, Robert Harvey, Paul Smith, Andrew Heron, Grant Bachoko, Tony Ewing, Craig Stepp, Paul Reynolds, Shannon Nelson, Charlotte Kennedy, Leah, the Enigmagic, Angela Lee, Chuck Tomasi, Stuart Maxwell, Michael Butler, Bruce Lerner, Skeeter Murphy, Robert Gibson, Len Edgerly, Michael Street, Neil Forker, Dyko, Brian Springer, Rob Usden, John Gehring, Wayne Pittenger, Brian Jones, Joe Pollock, Jeff Dangle, J.P. Shippard, Steve Holden, Brian Hogan, Matt Beckwith, and patron in exile, Nutty Nukchas. Thank you, one and all, for supporting the shambling mess. And with that, let us kill the music. All right, we did that thing. (laughs) Again, throwing myself a parade when I leave a hole for it. Thank you for listening to the show. I really, really appreciate it. I'm going to absolutely do my level best to not forget my anniversary this year, because it will be my, in August, will be the 20th anniversary of this fucking thing. Wow. Can you believe it? Some of you have been listening for 20 years. (laughs) I think uh, in the merch, there needs to be like a uh, a purple heart. (laughs) A purple heart with the uh, EGC logo on it. That's for long-time listeners. (sighs) Thank you for listening. Show notes will be up, as always, at evilgeniuschronicles.org. You can email me, Dave, at evilgeniuschronicles.org. Thank you, Reed Knight, for letting me know you're still listening. I appreciate that. Um, Mastodon, at Dave, at evilgeniuschronicles.org. You'll get the show uh, the show postings via the Fediverse. I still haven't, I still haven't talked about Mastodon. Maybe that should be the, ne- the topic for the next show. <laughs> I keep... I keep deferring it because it's such a downer topic. It's not, by the way, it's not Mastodon's fault. There's nothing technical about Mastodon. I have decided that all social media of any kind uh, is just wrong. It seemed like the right answer, and it's the wrong answer. That's Maybe that's what the whole next show should be about, is that. So anyway, thank you for listening. Do not forget that I love you. Goodbye. Every step of fucking adventure.